So uh, right before the beginning of uh, this talk period, I was out doing just a little bit of walking in the walking hall. <clears throat> and I remember uh, an old Thich Nhat Hanh expression for walking that might be useful for you. With each step you say, um, I have arrived with that foot and then you land with the other foot and you say, I'm at home. I have arrived. And you feel this sense of arrival when you say it, that you've arrived. And then in the opposite foot, I'm at home. I am where I belong to be. Uh, but it's useful to ask, what is it that we mean by arrival? What is it that we mean by being at home? And that's what I would like to talk about tonight, <clears throat> the birthing of the quiet mind and the quiet heart. Because we don't really find our coordinates. We don't really find our exact location in the noise of our life. Our life is governed by the whims of thought. If we assert the noise as the true factor of our life, as the, as the valid dialogue that leads us through life, then it's a very tragic dialogue indeed because it doesn't have any basis or ground to it. It doesn't have any steadiness or rival to it. It's always in partial explanations and pointing somewhere else other than where we are. <clears throat> and so it be dawns on us at some point, uh, perhaps literally, that the movement of this practice uh, and the journey of the spiritual life is really towards quietude. And some of that happens very naturally, as you might suppose, that it just, uh, as we go through and we mature a little bit with our meditation, we're just not as interested in noisy engagements. It just doesn't, doesn't, uh, create the satisfaction that it once did. It was around this time um, a few years ago that Ellen and I took a Christmas boat cruise and uh, around Lake Washington in Seattle. We thought it'd be very nice for his dinner, you know, that was uh, being offered. And um, so we got on this boat and it was also half price tickets. <laughs> so we got on the boat and as soon as we got on the boat, people started arriving. First, the size of the boat was, uh, uh, there were about three times more people than the size would allow. And so we, we like red flags started, <laughs> oh, uh oh. And as we were about to decide to get off the boat, it's pulled away from the harbor. So we were uh, going, and once it was away, you know, it, it started to be, dawn on us that we had made a tragic mistake because <laughs> the sounds were, were beginning to reverberate inwardly and, the, and there was dance music and it was just a little cabin about the size of this stage up here and you couldn't help but get away, you couldn't get away and so you were <laughs> in there sort of at the expense of everybody else's movement and uh, it was the most miserable ride. It lasted like three hours. It was just... <laughs> Uh, it was just miserable, and they gave us a spaghetti dinner, you know. 
<laughs> and there was, it was, we were the first ones off the boat. <laughs> it just, it, at some point it might have worked for us, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure that would have ever worked for us, but... <laughs> But it, it it just wasn't the context. It wasn't the, the, what we were looking for, and we were we were really not uh, in our element. And and it began it just in the course of meditation. Uh, much of our life just simplifies. It doesn't do it from some kind of um, intentionality. Even it doesn't do it because you know we're going to force ourselves into some, it's not a forced simplicity. It just, you just, you begin to crave quiet. You just, the first thing you do when you get in the car is not to turn on the radio. And one thing, you begin to really appreciate the quiet between the conversation. The conversation doesn't lead to an anxiety. The quiet doesn't lead to an anxiety of forced con- conversation. It's that you get very comfortable within the quiet between thoughts. And with that, also, one's life begins to uh, uh, shed the details. It's not so important uh, that the materialism of life as you might expect it doesn't uh, doesn't really satisfy in the same way and uh, country living or being in the uh, outdoors uh, does and so you you just it just is kind of uh, you see, you sense something going on that is very uh, resonant with the natural world now this is the first step into being at home the first step into arrival. The deep sense of peace of what's authentic, not what is contrived. It was an, another story of, I was walking through one of the parks in Seattle and uh, through kind of a dense wooded park and I started to hear this sound and it got louder and louder as I was moving closer to a clearing and uh, it got very loud as I got into the clearing and there were uh, sort of amplifiers up all around and it was a uh, sort of a a gospel uh, choir singing and some sort of um, spiritual event occurring uh, and what they were singing, it's, uh, the verse was, be still and know you are God. Well, it was being amplified so that <laughs> everything was shaking with the sounds of being still, know you are God. And it, the, uh, the contradiction was not lost on me. Uh, but the but the verse, be still and know you are God. I don't know wh- where that comes from. I mean, I guess it's a Christian in the Bible somewhere, but it's a tremendously deep and profound verse. First, I, it's hard for me to imagine how a, a Christian, non-Christian mystics, the ones who believe in the separation of life from Christ, would ever, would ever 
uh, acknowledge that phrase because that really is a, a call to the uh, summation of practice. Be still and know you are non-separate. And there's something extraordinarily beautiful about that verse until it's sung with amplifiers. <laughs> now, this, this sense of quietude, we have to understand how essential it is to us. But in order to do that, we have to understand how dependent we are upon noise. I often say to people, you can't just see the limitation of something to know its complete story. You have to see what it gives you, what it offers you, why you continue to support it. So what is it about noise? What does noise offer us? Because in any way that we observe ourselves, it's a very noisy self indeed. We're full of thought much of the time. Even when we're asleep, the sounds of our reverberating experiences continue. In the dream world, the ripple of noise is there. It's very hard to find a time outside of deep sleep that there's any quietude at all. So now that should be an indication of something some real need for noise in our life. Because this stuff doesn't arise independent of our intentionality to make it so. And so when we are noisy, we have to ask ourselves, what am I, how am I being fed by all of this? And if we look, we will see the effects of noise, the effect that noise has upon us. Well, one of those effects is that it creates the very sense of a position for myself. When I'm speaking, I know exactly where I am in relation to the ideas I'm espousing. When I'm quiet, it gets vast, but there are no boundaries to that quiet. And so there's a kind of feeling of being, really, of losing my sense of definition. As long as I can keep talking, I have a very firm definition. Through my words, my words create a very defined sense of myself through the ideas, opinions, beliefs, all the ways that I speak. But as soon as I'm quiet, it gets a little amorphous. It gets, the edges aren't so clear. And what I do in relationship to that is become afraid that I'm losing myself or I'm not, be, I'm not as positioned as I used to or I, I feel that there's something more advantageous in speaking than in being quiet. And so I speak and I think and that again creates a sense of me being separate from and having some knowledge about the world that lies outside of me. So it's really important to see that it's, we're, we're a little bit like a balloon that we blow up and grow proportional to the noise we insert into the balloon. And the sense of us is really proportional to the amount of noise we make about ourselves. The more opinions we have, 
the more defined we are. The more knowledge we have, the more position we can take. So we really begin to understand that in this culture, the emphasis is on knowledge. It's on opinionation. In fact, we say that if you are opinionated, you're really clear. You're clear. You're a clear person. You have a lot of opinions. So that sense is what we get. We get ourselves. And we talk to ourselves about what we are. And those, that's our self-reference. And so we're not only talking constantly about the world we see, but we're also talking about the nature of ourselves in relationship to that world. So we talk ourselves into position. We talk ourselves into the very place of pain. Because once we're in position, then we have to maintain that position. And what happens is if we stop talking for a minute, our positionality becomes fuzzy. So we have to re-engage our language, our speech again, in order to reclaim ourselves back in the picture. So we talk all the time. Endlessly. And so what happens when we come into our spiritual journey is we see the volume of sound that we have created. It's not as if we can suddenly be quiet because we want to be now that we have seen how noisy we are. We have to understand what we derive from noise itself that leads to this continuation of of self-creation. And so one of the ways I would point someone's journey is to see the relationship of the strength of your inward uh, uh, narrative, story, thoughts, compared to the uh, reactivity and size and proportionality of the sense of you. When you're demonstrative and reactive, you're in that picture very strongly. When you're quiet, reserved, and having a quiet meditation, you're almost not there. There's awareness, but you, you can't really claim a defined form or defined definition. Just begin to get a sense of how the volume of our narrative creates the definition of our being, the definition of our sense of self. It's a very important line of questioning, of understanding. So we have to ask ourselves, is silence on our side? Well, that depends on what side you're on. (laughs) It's not on the side egoically of you and a clear sense of yourself because noise takes that position. Noise gives you more of a sense of yourself. So if you want a strong egoic place in life, if you want to be self uh, indulgent and aggrandizing Say more about yourself to yourself. If you want to come back into simplicity, 
because noise takes effort. Speaking to ourselves constantly through dialogue, through monologue, that takes effort. We kind of, I mean, it's hard to keep talking. It's like uh, the senators that, uh, you know, what do you call that when they filibuster, a filibustering senator. <laughs> we filibuster our lives. <laughs> we never come to the vote. <laughs> because as soon as we're willing to be quiet, it all shrinks down. It's that simple. It's that simple. This isn't, a, this isn't uh, rocket science. You see? We're going to make this very simple. No hoops to jump through. Just be quiet. Well, how do I do that? Well, that's noise already. See, we work against stillness. We ask the wrong type of questions. We use the wrong form and expression of effort. We use the effort of noise and tension and struggle and argument and accomplishment and goal setting. All of which is ruckus. It's just loud. But what do we really have to do in order to be quiet? Don't do anything. Because the balloon has a hole in it. It'll start collapsing on its own just by our willingness to be quiet. But here's where silence works against us. Because as we get quiet, guess what? The exaggerated parts of ourselves that we have long fostered contention with, where we're upset about, those areas that we are abhorrent to, that we are in conflict with. Well, as it gets quiet, those are revealed. And what we do when those are revealed is we strike an opposite balance of tension and argue our way out of it. Yeah, well, I deserve you. I mean, I, if I, you had the mother I had, you'd look like this too. And you... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Just be quiet. Your mother's not here. <laughs> so we impose that counter argument, you know, to take us, to give us some relief from the pain we feel that this memory or this mind state or this whatever it is that's arising is proclaiming about us. And so we don't match that noise with quietude. We match it with speech. We match it with argument. We match it with tension, which is what? More noise. And by creating more noise, maybe we can drown out the difficulty we're having with that. Maybe we can loud, lo louder, loud, maybe we can yell louder than, than the problem. We don't match it right. We don't align this thing correctly. 
You see, something beautiful. I just love, I, I wrote a book. I'm going to, all those on this tape. <laughs> it's my one chance. <laughs> I, touching the infinite. It's with a, it says touching the infinite and it, uh, it's a new perspective on the four foundations of mindfulness. But the one, I mean, the foundations are inspiring to me. And let me just talk a little bit more about the third foundation. I mentioned it uh, in the talk a couple of nights ago. But it's so beautifully framed. And it's, I think it's often misunderstood. Because the Buddha is saying, in a sense, he says, you know, no matter what is occurring in the mind, it's okay. Don't argue with it. If it's this way, it's this way. If it's that way, it's that way. Just don't compose an argument against what is occurring. You see what he's saying? Be quiet. Let, leave the mind alone. Leave the mind alone? Well, don't I have to go on? No, you don't. It will come back to its natural state of wholeness when it isn't being pitted against itself in argument. God, I wish I wasn't so restless. Why am I so restless? Teacher? And this sleepiness and, oh, God, I've got all these... You don't understand what's in here. (laughs) Believe me, we understand. (laughs) But we don't... We don't know our way out. I mean, I'm not, all of us, you know, we're sort of at some point in our practices, we're just, we just feel trapped in this thing. We don't know how to get out and we keep trying, we keep pushing the wrong lever. We push the lever of our own strength, of our own argument, of our own determination, of our own self-righteousness, of our position, of our power, of our control. And... It just lights the thing up. <laughs> it's that we don't learn about enough. About, we don't learn what we're doing is the very opposite of what we need to do. We just keep trying. We haven't hard, tried hard enough. Have you? You know, you could try harder. You're right. <laughs> this is the way this goes. It goes insane. It goes insane. It goes insane. Except, we've got somebody here that made it sane. Well, what does he know? He lived 2,500 years ago. I know the way, I know what the mind is. I know what I need to do. No, listen. In the third foundation, be quiet. Don't argue. Whatever is arising is fine. Just let it, let it happen. And what happens is that the mo- less contention we offer in terms of its arising, the quieter we become. Because the mind has created a schism between it. The person who thinks it knows what the mind needs and the expression of what the mind is doing. 
is pitted against itself. And this person, who's also a mental activity within the mind, you know that about yourself? Jim, David, Jerry, Jane, that you exist from the tension of your argument, from the noise you're making. And if we were not to make noise, we would not exist. And the mind would then become whole, complete, unified. And that's a very different depiction of the world than the mind that thinks it has a mind. I have a mind. No, you don't. You do not have a mind. You are the mind. The mind owns you. You do not own the mind. And when we realize, my God, I'm in here. I'm not out here somewhere. I'm not a bird on my shoulder. I'm in there. That's where I come from. Then you wonder, what's the remedy? Well, he's giving us the remedy. He's telling us what to do. Don't do anything to it. And it's the hardest thing to learn because it makes us powerless. We have no power when we're not doing anything. And we hate the sense of not being powerful. It takes us back to, you know, all the ways that we were mistreated when we didn't have any power when we were young. I'm never going that way again. And so the sense of power is so important to us that we'll, we'll do anything not to be powerless. You see, it takes us through all of that stuff. All of the ways that we fear for ourselves. Simply by being quiet. By not protesting. You see? We can access it right here. If you sense the quiet, you will notice that your mind is very quiet and not divided within that quietude. And if you sense the quiet, you will also get a sense that I'm not negated, I'm not washed away in some vacuum, I'm not in prison somewhere. Although the sense of I is not defined, existence is very prominent. There's a lot of aliveness. It just doesn't look like my egoic state. But I haven't lost anything, and if we stay there long enough, we see what we can gain. We see, wow, this is a vast improvement. This is amazing. Why would I ever tuck myself back in the bottle? The genie's out. Why would I ever want to go back that way? What's the advantage of that? No advantage. And there's an intelligence that arises from this awareness that is unformed, that is undefined, that is not positioned 
if it were formed, it would look like you and I. Because it's unformed, it doesn't look like anything. But it's existence itself. It's authentic existence. Not contrived existence. Not the existence of the person, you know, the, the drawing, the figure drawing, matching all the numbers. There I am. It's beautiful. It's fulfilling. There lives the heart. And what we don't get are the limited ego attributes that we have so longed for the sense of control and manipulation and all of that stuff that just bound us more into the tears of the world. And how easy this silence is in relation to relaxation. We're giving you the hints. We're giving you how Releasing the tension, which is the noise your body and mind contain moment after moment. As you go into and deepen the sense of psychic and physical relaxation, you come to those areas of tension. And what you'll notice is that you will stop the process of further relaxation because you're afraid of what deep relaxation could mean in relationship to the conflicts of your life. You would rather battle the conflicts and maintain them than to relax your way through them, which is means to be quiet in relationship to them. So we will only relax so far before our feathers get roused and we look around for a good fight. And by God, you know, I'm angry. Don't know what you're angry at, but you'll find something. And it's just relaxation. There's no harm here. No one's asking you to, you know, to do anything that's the slightest bit harmful. Just to relax. And so another good practice, and I'm trying to give you some hints towards your practice, if you have any intentionality of going in this way, is to ask yourself from time to time, just let me relax and let me see where I stop it. And just be honest and see what's there where the relaxation is arrested. Is it a memory? Is it a sense of emotion that's coming up? Is it the identification with a certain state of physicality like restlessness or sleepiness or something and am, am I going to arrest my spiritual development on the controversy with this very natural state of restlessness because then I've broken the unification of mind and created a division once more my fulfillment comes in the argument rather than in the quiet. 
Are we so afraid of moving beyond the confines of our disagreement, of our tension, that we're not interested in what lies out as we slip the boundaries of that noise and touch something truly fulfilling? My God, if it's that close, let me know it. We feel it when we walk in nature. We feel it. That's why nature holds. It's not an argument. There's no argument with nature. We're, when we're with people, it's like, what's wrong with her? God, why come she's wearing those shoes? <laughs> but you don't say that about a squirrel. <laughs> you see, you lose your argument in nature. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is so wonderful. Well, it's not nature that's that wonderful. It's, it, it just brings out what's wonderful inside us. And we coat nature with that wonderfulness. We carry it with us. Life can look like that. So we fa- we're willing to face pain. We're not going to hide from it anymore. We're going to go into it. Because that's where the noise is. When we're in pain, when we're suffering, there's tension, there's argument. You're saying something to yourself. Pain is... Suffering is dialoguing with pain. you got pain and you're saying, God, I, did, I don't like this. this is, when is this going to end? How much longer? Maybe not just like that. (laughs) You see, the end of suffering is the end of that dialogue, that monologue, that And we have opportunities all day long, just in our willingness to listen. If we listen judgmentally, or if we listen to what we know it is, and then argue about how good it is in relationship to our knowing of it, like, well, that's a pretty good version of that song, but I had a bet, well, you should hear her sing it, right? Which is kind of the way we do it, right? We listen through our opinions. Well, then we're just in further argument. We're in creating more noise. But if we truly listen, it gets in purified in its original nature. It gets in quietly. And we miss the the beauty and simplicity of listening. There's nothing we need to do to listen except listen. That's it. And keep not, not allowing our mind to obscure what we're hearing, obstruct it. So there are all kinds of opportunities all day long from every sense door. But it's like, who likes meatballs? 
Or empathy. Your heart naturally responds empathetically. Well, she deserves it. I mean, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, I'm not wasting my time with any sympathy for her. She deserves it. No. No. Unmitigated empathy. Touching the heart. And the effort I extend is the effort to connect. We've talked a lot about effort. Not the effort to overcome. The effort to overcome, you can hear the noise in that. And you start weighing everything you do in relationship to the noise it produces. But in connecting effort and joining what is there, there's no noise at all. You're just releasing or surrendering the need to be separate. So you're surrendering the noise in order to connect. Connection is there. We keep it abey, at abeyance by having conditions. And only under certain conditions will I connect. And those conditions are never met because we refuse to have those conditions met because we want to stay noisy. Can I be quiet with this? Ask yourself, can I be quiet with this? And some of us are so immersed in drama in our life. We think that's where our worth comes, our purpose, our intention in life comes through the, you know, the, oh, the hard, ennobling troubles and turmoils I faced in life. And so we just continue to create drama here. There's not a drop of drama here or need for it. And yet, where's our phone now? Wait a minute now. Did I just give away something that... And we create all these fictitious... Well, my daughter could be... Or my son, they, they were going to go hiking. Well, I know that bear got him. This is crazy making people. This is crazy. You think our election was crazy. This is really crazy. And we have to ask ourselves, do we really want this? Can I be quiet with this? Add nothing to this experience. No matter what's going on, add nothing to this experience. Well, my, pr- my practice doesn't seem like, it's, like things are happening. Nothing needs to be happening. Nothing needs to be happening here. Can I be quiet with this? And we 
allow. You can feel the unification. You can feel it come in. You can feel the heart engage as the quiet. You can feel it. It's, we're not, we don't get whisked away to some... We change from being someone to being existence. Being existence. You don't lose your narrative. You can use it. It's still there. You still know where you live. You still know which one of those cars you need to drive home. You can still work very professionally within the range of your knowledge. But you don't need it all the time. You don't need that mirror constantly reflecting back. Yeah, I'm a lawyer. Yes, I'm a lawyer. Wait a minute. I forgot. Yes, I'm a lawyer. (laughs) Okay, now the world needs our sanity. We can't do we can't meet the world any longer with our insanity. Something else is calling us now. We can't just be apathetic now. We need to rise up and meet this. It's going to be an interesting season, political season. And we have to rise up. But we don't rise up in opposition and create more noise and tension and more conflict. It doesn't need that. It needs something else from us. It needs realized quiet. I've given you a bunch of words talking about quiet is not realized quiet. Realized quiet is taking the words and working with them until you know that every word I've spoken tonight has a realization, realized truth in each of us. And then it's ours to live. May it be so, people. Can we sit for a minute or two? Sit without conflict. 